Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Behind the Sermon, a time when pastors sit down and talk about all things preaching and practical ministry. My name is Todd Lovell, and I am joined today by Pastor Andrew Thompson. Top of the morning to you, Pastor Andrew. Top of the morning to you, sir. Why, thank you. Also joined by our producer, Patrick Hall. Hey, Patrick, how you doing, brother? I'm well, Todd. Thank you. And I believe it may be closer to the bottom of the morning. Bottom of the morning? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I don't know how that... I don't, is that a clock reference? Top I've and bottom? I've never thought about that. Is it top and bottom? Is that is that like the hands on a clock? I don't know. That's a great question. No idea. That's it's a, is, that's an Irish... Um, I believe it's an Irish phrase, isn't it? Try it in an yeah. Irish. Try it in an Irish accent. Let's we'll see. Well, you know. I, top of the morning to you. Oh, I mean, nice. I was I was literally greeted by an Irishman in uh, Kilkenny by him walking past his house one morning. He was pouring out water from a coffee pot in his front yard, and he said, "He said, top of the morning to you. How are you enjoying your stay in Ireland? What time of the morning was this? This was early, maybe oh, okay. eight, seven thirty-eight. So maybe it's not a, a hands of the clock reference. Maybe it's a maybe it's a qualitative." But why is the top better? It reminds me of that Seinfeld episode where they they don't they don't want to eat the muffin stumps. Yeah, the muffin, muffin tops. tops. Yeah, and they're going to start a store called Top of the Muffin to you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great episode. Uh, anyway, I but, think there may be something to that, Patrick. At the top of the morning is early, and bottom of the morning is late. It sounds like it makes sense. Bottom of the morning to you does not roll off the tongue quite no, nice. especially no. in an Irish accent. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, dear listener, if you have any insights into that expression or any other colloquial phrases, uh, feel free to, to write into the podcast. Uh, but we are going to be talking about Commitment Sunday uh, today on Behind the Sermon. So come along with us as we go Behind the Sermon. All right, so we are finishing up our stewardship series. Uh, Andrew, we've had four weeks. This is going to be the fourth coming up this Sunday. And we've been focusing on the character of uh, Peter yeah, and uh, his triumphs, but also a little bit of his, his stumblings, right, his failings, and how um, all those things are tied into the stewardship uh, that God is calling us to. Really interesting that... I mean, I guess you can make this case for him dropping his nets, but but there's not a lot of financial stewardship in Peter's story. Um, but it is kind of the the holistic stewardship that I think that we're all called to, which of course includes our finances. Yeah, I mean, you could cut, probably make the case that him dropping his nets as a as a professional fisherman was yep. a bit of a financial stewardship. You know, I probably in that sermon, I probably should have brought that out. I think that's probably absolutely the case. Yeah. I mean, it's a leap of faith. Uh, yeah, sure. absolutely, absolutely. So, um, anyway, but we're coming to the we're drawing to the the end of that kind of to the climax of what we've been building towards here with Commitment Sunday. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about that uh, and uh, what this Sunday will entail and where you look to go in, in the sermon. Sure. Well, as you alluded to a minute ago, I, we we have looked at his the highs and lows in Peter's life, and actually, sometimes when I get to the end of a sermon series like this. There will be something that came out, I would call this a work of the Holy Spirit, where I feel like God has revealed something to me, and that's kind of what I walk away with. Of an entire sermon series, it might be one point. Mm-hmm. Um, in this particular sermon series, it is the um, it, it really took place for me in the first sermon, and it's a phrase that just kind of came to me and that I used in the sermon that I, I think I will um, walk away with as maybe the most important thing that I took out of this series, which is what it means what it meant for Peter to move from fishing to following. Mm-hmm. 
So it's the passage from Luke um, where Jesus gets into the boat and says, let down your nets. And, you know, Peter says, oh, we've been fishing all night. Mm-hmm. You know, we're fishermen. You're not. What mm-hmm. do you know about this? And, but, he, but he obeys him. And when he does, he, he, he brings in a huge haul. And, um, and that's a wonderful thing for Peter. As a matter of fact, he recognizes God in Jesus, and he falls down in repentance and begins to worship. Um, but Peter could have left it there, you know. Peter could have just received the gift of Jesus. Sure, yeah. He could have received the blessing and let that been enough. But there are count, countless stories of people who do that. There are Jesus. plenty of people. And yeah. there, there are plenty of people in churches that do that. And there are people that have real faith. Mm-hmm. But, but what their faith is, uh, consists of is mostly appreciating um, and and reveling in and and rejoicing in God's blessings in their life. Yeah. But but what Jesus calls Peter to do, and what what I think Jesus calls all believers to do, is is not just to not just to receive the blessing, but rather to, as he says to Peter, follow me to get out of the boat to move from fishing to following. It's that's where. That's where real transformation is going to happen. Right. Um, that that's where Peter's life, I begin, I believe, begins to really become different because he is willing to take the leap of faith um, and to to not just receive the blessing, but to allow the blessing to compel him to follow Jesus. And what he'll what he's going to end up doing is you know blessing the entire church through his leadership of it. I think I think that's such a it's such a nuanced point, but it's so important because I, I wonder how many of us confuse um, the gratitude that we feel for the blessings of God in our life with actually being a disciple of Jesus. Right. And like, the, like you said, like those, are not, those are not the same things. There are several people throughout, um, throughout the, the New Testament in particular that receive healing, receive some sort of blessing uh, from Jesus, but ultimately are not followers of Jesus. They're, right. they're, they're not disciples uh, uh, in the purest sense of that word. Um, but it's really, it's really those, the 12, right? The 12 that following, that follow him to varying degrees of success. Um, but it's the 12 that are actually called his disciples along with, along with the women that are supporting his ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's, that's a question of what, what is actually most important in the life of the people that are, that are, you know, touched by Jesus. I think that's really interesting that we call this coming Sunday commitment Sunday, Mm -hmm. as opposed to stewardship Sunday or giving Sunday or pledge card Sunday or whatever you want to call it. But we call it commitment Sunday. And I, I think that that's for me, as I think about the difference between fishing and following, that's, that's really, that's the defining mark is Mm -hmm. like, what are, what are you actually willing to commit your life to? Yeah. Um, I can, you know, Peter could have easily committed to fishing, like, hey, I'm going to actually listen to what Jesus says about where to cast my nets from now on, and but still remained a fisherman, and, and ultimately that would have been what was most important in his life, right? That would have been his defining characteristic. But there's a very different set of commitments that go on whenever you follow Jesus. Yeah. You were saying, my previous life is actually not what's most important, or those things that I thought that were most important are actually not. Now it is walking in the ways of Jesus. Like yeah. that that is the very most important thing and everything else it's not that you you know jettison everything else in your life but everything else in your life kind of follows in line behind Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um is that is that a fair Yeah, there there was a actually brought in an article from a 
theological ethicist that I studied under at Duke named Stanley Hauerwas, who's now retired but is still very active uh, writing and speaking and uh, one of the one of the best known ethicists of the late twentieth and early twenty first century, particularly in 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 uh, Protestant Christianity, America's top theologian, according to Time Magazine <laughs> yeah, in two thousand one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, uh, that, whatever that means, right? Yeah, <laughs> How, Stanley Howard himself is not very impressed with that. <laughs> right. I think it was America's best theologian. Her best, his, yeah. His response was, "Best is not a theological category." Yeah. Um, but uh, at any rate, I, I did. I studied under him. He was on my. He was on my dissertation committee, and um, and he he used to say something. And I know I know it's in his writing. It, I can't find it in the article that I brought. But I, if I can hunt it down, hunt down a quote that approximates it, I'm going to use it in the sermon this Sunday. He used to say versions of it in class all the time. And the phrase was something along the lines of this, that Christians should live lives that make no sense unless God has raised Jesus from the dead. Wow, yeah. So that the lives that we live, the things that we do, the commitments that we have, uh, the stories that we weave, they make no sense whatsoever on the world's account. They only make sense if God has in fact raised Jesus from the dead. And I would say that about commitment Sunday. Hmm. What are we doing? I mean, we're asking people to do something that is crazy. I mean, we're asking them to take, <laughs> you know, presumably 10% of their income and to give it away. Yeah. For, for what? To, to do something that's going to, you know, are we talking about in giving it away like to the stock market where they right. can earn a return right. or investing it in a business where they're presumably going to have some equity built up, um, putting it, socking it away in their, you know, college account for their kids. No, we're asking them to give it back to God Mm -hmm. and it will be used to, you know, do ministry and to do mission and to feed the hungry and to care for the poor, um, to disciple children who are not their own children, you know? Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that in, uh, in a capitalistic consumer acquisitive society makes no real sense Mm -hmm. because, you know, what we're taught is that whoever dies with the most toys wins Hmm. that, you know, variety of this is the spice of life that you should be consuming experiences and consuming things that you should be acquiring, um, materialistic possessions. I mean, that is the story of our economy and of our world. And it's frankly, it's a story that has raised a lot of people out of poverty makes us really comfortable and makes people love living in the United States of America. But um, but what we're doing is asking people to live into a very different story. And that is the story of the one who came to heal the sick, to make the lame to walk, the blind to see, uh, to bring good news to the poor and to yeah. raise the dead. Um, and that narrative makes no sense whatsoever on the world's terms. It only makes sense if the one that we're following is the one that God has raised from the dead as Messiah and Lord. I think that kind of that bucks up against. I, I don't know how much of this would be articulated um, if you if you kind of put the question to people, but it's almost this in a real in a real practical way. This is what people seem to believe by just how they live their lives. The idea of I believe in I believe in God. My belief in God has blessed me with things, mm-hmm. and there's this transactional sort of understanding that if I believe in God, my life will be better. Therefore, I believe in God. Um, where really I think a better question, at least in terms of discipleship, a better question is what has not what has your belief in God blessed you with, but what has your belief in God cost you? 
Mm. Like that's actually, I think, a better question for discipleship in the same way that Peter has to drop his nets. He has to drop, you know, and he's a fisherman, not in the sense that this is just a fun hobby that he does on the weekends with his friends, but no, this is like his livelihood. Yeah. And he drops that and he follows Jesus. It costs him something. Now, ultimately he's, you know, um, you know, one of the disciples of, of the living God, uh, made flesh, but, but that still costs him something even in, even in his own death and his own martyrdom. Um, and, and there's a, there's also a quote, I, I don't know who this is from, maybe, you know, Andrew, uh, but the idea that, that really puts the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the forefront of our discipleship. Uh, and it goes something like, um, if God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, uh, then nothing else matters. And if God didn't raise Jesus Christ from the dead, then nothing else matters. Yeah. Right. Like there is kind of like, there's this fatalism, but also this resurrection hope that kind of hinges on the validity of the resurrection of Jesus. Because if, if Jesus really was raised from the dead, think about how much would actually change in our lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, nothing else would matter. That would be the, that would be the thing that would, everything else would kind of fall in line behind. Right. That may I'm not sure if that's a C.S. Lewis quote. That sounds that's C.S. what I was Lewis-y. thinking, and I've been that's, reading a lot of Lewis lately, yeah. so that might be where that's from. It's know? it's kind of like the other one that's either I think it's C.S. Lewis. It's either C.S. Lewis or G.K. Chesterton, but it's the the liar, lunatic, and Lord yeah, quote yeah. that yeah. that based on Jesus's own claims about who he is. You know, he's either got to be a liar, he's got to be a lunatic, or he has to be the Lord. There's not a whole lot of other options yeah. there because of the because of the types of claims that he makes about himself. Right. It's either the most important thing or it's not important at all. It can't be moderately important. It can't be moderately important. Yeah. 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 It can't That's be right. kind of important, right? Yeah. yeah. And and you see that, you know, it's it, it's the case early in Peter's life when he does drop his nets and go. It's also the case in Acts, which is where I'm going to be reading from this coming Sunday, where Peter does the types of things that don't make any sense unless God has raised Jesus from the dead. So when, when Peter, you know, goes into um, Solomon's portico and he heals the lame man and when it attracts a crowd because the lame man is kind of dancing a jig and people are attracted yeah, to commotion, yeah. then Peter takes the opportunity to, to preach Christ crucified and risen. He gets hauled in front of the council and uh, he, he basically, you know, they say, you, look, that's fine. Just pipe down. He says, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to pipe down. Right. Yep. You know, there is no other name on heaven or earth under which men must be saved in yeah. the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And, um, and that's kind of the story of the rest of, of Peter's life. And it's the story of the life of the early church. And it's a, it's a story that looks like some form of idiocy or mm-hmm. lunacy from the world standpoint. But if yeah. you believe that God has raised Jesus from the dead, it's the most central and crucial thing that you can be about, which is following him. Yeah. And I think so oftentimes we look at that in, in a vacuum that, for example, the, the, um, healing at, at Solomon's portico that like, but what's really important is, which is what we've done in this series is to look at everything that led up to that. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, sometimes I get those questions, those pastoral questions from people of, well, why doesn't God heal people like that anymore? You know, and, and to which I want to say, well, you know, one, you probably haven't said it many bedsides because God does heal people yeah. like that, you know, but, but also I want to say if we haven't, if we haven't experienced that type of miraculous nature of, of the kingdom of God breaking in, in our own lives, maybe it's because we actually haven't submitted 
to Christ the way Peter did. Mm. You know, like there's a whole list of things that lead up to that. It didn't just happen in isolation. It's not yeah. Peter didn't just wake up one day and go, you know, be healed in the name of Jesus. And all of a sudden he can just do that to anybody. Like, no, there's this, this process of surrendering and following that has to happen before Peter even gets bold enough right. to proclaim that. Right. It's um, like, it's like you and I heard John Tyson earlier this fall, you know, preaching, at the New Room Conference, and John Tyson is a guy who is really fascinated by the outbreak of awakenings right. um, and revivals in different locales over the centuries. And one of those that, and one of the ones that he, you know, spoke the most about when he was teaching was um, the revival in the Hebrides, the, the mm-hmm. islands off of the western coast of Scotland. And he talked about how, you know, that that revival was the result of years and years of dedicated prayer by women in the church there. Right. And that, and that one of the things that you see when you look at revival breaking out and awakenings that happen is that they're always the result of dedicated prayer. They don't just, they don't just come upon people unawares. They come in response to, you know, serious heart rending travailing intercession and Mm -hmm. supplications there's a quote in, in Wesley's plain account of Christian perfection where he talks about how God doesn't do anything but in response to prayer. Mm. Um, and so there, there, you, there is, a, you know, there is a, a certain way in which we have to humble ourselves. Our hearts have to be open. There has to be a certain disposition in our souls in order for that transforming work to happen. And there, there is a little bit of lunacy uh, wrapped up in that, at least by the world standards. Yeah. You know, the, way they, the way that John talked about you know, these, was it sisters that would just sit up in view of the church and just pray every night. And they would have almost like these, these vigils overnight, just where they would stay awake and pray. And like how crazy that would look to the people around them, Mm -hmm. uh, to the, to the world around them, um, that they're praying for something that, you know, by all estimation, they had no reason to hope would ever happen. Right. Uh, until, until God stepped in and did something. Yeah. There's actually a celestial metaphor wrapped up in that. And it has to do with the word lunacy, which comes from the, the, I mean, the root of that is Luna or moon. And so what is a lunatic or what is a, what is lunacy? Uh, it is, uh, you know, etymologically, it's someone who's under the domination of the moon Hmm. and, and the difference between the moon and the sun is the sun is always the same. (laughs) <laughs> the, the sun rises in the east and there it is all yep. day long and yep. then it's and then every day it's the same it's the same it's always the same it's very predictable whereas the moon changes there are times yeah. like right now we were driving home uh last night yep. uh, and and the moon is full it's huge uh-huh. you know uh-huh. and in about two weeks it's gonna disappear right <laughs> you know yeah. it's gonna be gone yeah. um and it wa- the old the old way of putting it is it waxes and wanes you mm-hmm. know the moon comes and goes and and there has to be you know there has to be that willingness to change there you know to be holy lunatics for god <laughs> you know we have to be willing to understand that god does different things that yeah. god changes and that we have to be willing to lay ourselves at the foot of the cross understanding that god is in control of that not us so how do, so let's kind of tie all this back together how would you say all that um, along with kind of where you're going in your sermon this Sunday ties into commitment Sunday itself. Yeah. Well, the, the passage that I'm, I'm, you know, what, anytime I want to talk about Peter at Pentecost, what I'd love to do is read the whole sermon, mm-hmm. but it's almost a chapter long. And so what I'm going to be reading is just a short passage from Acts 2, 29 to 33. I'll just read that right now. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. 
But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would, that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did, he, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you see and hear. Uh, that's just such a rich passage. Yeah. First of all, it's deeply Trinitarian. Sure. Uh, it's focused on the Son of God, uh, but talks about how um, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured it out. So it's it's this wonderful image of, of, of the idea that we have been caught up into the life of the triune God. We've been caught up into the life of the Trinity by virtue of the fact that God the Father has raised Jesus from the dead, has given him the Holy Spirit that Jesus has then in turn poured out upon us. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just a side note. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, just, I, love, I love Trinitarian imagery in the scriptures. Um, but there's also the, the focus there on the resurrection itself, on the fact of the resurrection, mm-hmm. that, that even David, even David, the greatest king of all, died and was put in his tomb and his body went to the dust, okay? Uh, but not so with Jesus. Hmm. With Jesus, God has done something new. And what right. he's done new is that he's raised him from the dead such that his body has not seen decay. And that's actually, for me, the entree point for um, why we can talk about going back to that Hauerwas quote or quasi quote yeah. that that we we are called to live lives that make no sense unless God has raised Jesus from the dead. That's sure. what that's essentially what Peter is saying here. Yeah. Essentially what Peter is saying here is we can do a new thing because God has done a new thing. Mm. And uh and I'm going to I'm going to that's that's kind of the way that I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it as a way to kind of wrap up the story of Peter as we've been following it. Uh and I'm going to point to a little bit about where his where his life went. Um but I'm also going to connect that specifically with financial stewardship. Now, mm-hmm. we, we have tried to talk about stewardship in a holistic way because I think you need to. Right. You don't ever want to kind of give the message that the church is just interested in your money. Right. Uh, it doesn't come across well. It just doesn't play very well. We want to talk about stewardship in a holistic way because God really intends for us to think about it in a holistic way. But, but I also want to give the message to the church this coming Sunday that, look, na- now is the time. This mm-hmm. is where our 2020 budget is about to be passed at our charge conference on November the 24th, uh, which is actually the afternoon of this coming Sunday when I'm going to preach this message. And, um, and we, we need a strong push for people to fulfill the budget because we believe in what we're doing. We are connecting people to God and one another by gathering, by growing, and by going together in discipleship to Jesus. And we want to be able to continue that uh, next year in the same way that we've been doing it uh, this year. And so I want people to be willing to to give sacrificially. I want people yeah. to know that they can take risks for the gospel in the same way that Peter took risks for the gospel because God has raised Jesus from the dead, and that changes everything for us. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a wonderful message, and uh, I hope people are, are open and, and willing to respond to that that type of message because I think that's what we're all uh, called to. Um, before we wrap up, I you know I want to kind of look ahead uh, past Commitment Sunday. Of course, we have Christ the King uh, Sunday, the the Sunday following that, where Pastor Jim will be preaching. We'll talk more about that uh, next week. I, I hope um, she was unable to make it today, uh, but let's look forward to Advent a little yeah, bit and. Absolutely. Um, Maybe you can share just a little bit about what we're thinking and maybe some new things yeah. that we're going to try and do with that too. Yep. 
You know, uh, one of the great things, and I'm and I'm serious about this. One of the great things that I love about working with with you and with Pastor Jen and Pastor Danny and Pastor Rob, also with our worship leaders like like Patrick and and Michael, is that we have a collection of people that are willing to try new things. Mm-hmm. And I have, I love that. I love that kind of creativity that um, you know we experienced it yesterday around the worship planning table, and we always do. Um, just just trying new things. Something that you did for us, Todd, uh, a couple of years ago on Lent. It was Lent before last, I believe. I did a sermon series on the meaning of the Word of God, the nature and authority of the Word of God. And you wrote a companion curriculum along with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there's really, there's very, there's very few things that are more of a truly pastoral task. When you think about the word pastoral, that means shepherding. Right. More of a pastoral or shepherding work than, than trying to shape and form the Christian education of your people. And, um, and that, was, uh, that was a great thing. It was a great curriculum because it tracked along with the sermon series that I was doing. And I know a lot of people really appreciated that. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't we, we haven't done that every Advent and Lent. It's a you know writing curriculum is a yeah. very time consuming. You, you got to kind of clear your schedule because you really do. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's it's like um, makes you appreciate the you know people that are, that the unknown saints of the church that write Sunday school right. curriculum that people use. You right. know that that don't get their names on bestseller lists. It's just a, it's such an important work and it's it's not easy and very time consuming. Well. I have written an Advent, I say I have written, I'm finishing up right now a, a an Advent study that I'm going to offer to the church called Watching from the Walls mm-hmm. that is about... Um, that that's about the the Advent story, and it focuses. It's almost like a character study. It focuses on certain key characters in the Advent story. There may be a few people. I don't think many people remember this, but there may be a few people who remember that um, back in 2015, which is going on. You know, well, that's a that's full our, four years ago. It's our first Advent. Yeah, it was. Yeah, a full four years ago. I actually preached a sermon series with this title, "Watching from the Walls." Um, and, and I, when I preached that, I had, I had thought at the time, you know, this would make a great study if I had the time to really flesh it out. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of put that up on the shelf and there was something about last Christmas that I thought, you know, I think, I think by this time next year, I want to have that thing ready to go. So I pulled it off the shelf and I dusted it off and I, I used the sermons that I preached as the basis for what I did, but I really wrote it from scratch. Yeah. It's a six-week thing, so it'll carry you through, not just through Advent, it'll actually carry you all the way through Epiphany. And it starts out by looking at Mary, and then Joseph, Mm -hmm. and then Elizabeth, the wife of Zechariah, and then it looks at the shepherds, and it also uh, looks at the wise men. The, The kind of theme, the overarching theme, is the the theme from the Old Testament of of the of the role and purpose of what the Old Testament calls the watchmen on the walls. Mm-hmm. So um, in ancient cities, there were walls around the city. They were protective. They were defensive walls. And the city would post watchmen on the walls. Um, you shut the gates at night, and the watchmen would watch for the approach of an enemy. The watchmen also watched for the approach of the dawn because when the sun came up, they could give the signal for the city gates to be opened again. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Old Testament, there are a number of places in the prophets and also in the Psalms where that idea of the watchman is adopted and used for an image of what it means to watch for the coming of the Lord. Okay. Okay. So one example would be Isaiah 52, 8. 
Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Hmm. Okay. And so another one would be um, Isaiah 60, also from Isaiah 62, 6 and 7. Upon your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen all the day and all the night. They shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. Mm. So it's it's an image of the watchman watching for the, the coming of the Lord or the work of the Lord to bring about renewal to God's people and to God's holy city of Jerusalem. Um, I think that the Advent story is a story that's meant to draw us into it. Yeah. Just think about what a nativity set looks yeah. like. Yeah. With the shepherds, the animals, the wise men. I mean, there's something about that where think about living nativities that you've seen, where you're meant to walk up to it and to witness the Jesus, baby Jesus in the manger yourself. Right. Um, you know, I, I I think that story is meant to draw us in. Luke and Matthew are wanting to draw us in to the story of Jesus, so that we're actual participants in it. Sure. So in this study, what I'm doing is I'm 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 posing it to the the reader or to the individual or to the grow group or the Sunday school class that we are called to be the watchmen upon the walls, mm-hmm. and that that we're watching for is the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus. Uh, in the same way that Mary and Joseph and Elizabeth and Zechariah and the shepherds and the wise men were doing the, that very thing. So anyway, so I, it's going to be six chapters long, um, focuses on the texts in Matthew and Luke mm-hmm. that, that we find the nativity story in. And um, I'm going to make that available to the church for any individual or any grow group or any Sunday school class that wants to use it throughout December and the first couple of weeks of January. I think that's wonderful. And I know we've talked a, a long time. I mean, that's kind of the reason why we did the Linton study a couple of years ago was, you know, it, it's so important, I think, for us to offer sort of supplemental devotionals for some of the stuff that we're doing. If you think about uh, our Christian education uh and a lot of churches are like this, but we tend to take kind of a shotgun approach uh, in the sense of, okay, the Sunday morning sermon's about one thing. You go to your Sunday school class or your small group, it's about something else. Mm -hmm. And then you have like maybe a personal devotional that you get emailed to you or you're doing some book at home and that's about something completely different. But there's something really powerful uh, that happens when all those things kind of align. Yes, There's There's a depth that you can go uh, in in certain materials, and even though uh, watching from the walls is, is going to be different than our Advent sermon series, it's still going to be topically the same. It is, and yeah. so you're going to be getting context from both of those things. Those those the sermon series and and the the you know the devotional will almost be in dialogue with one another. Yeah, and so they're going to they're going to get a, a much uh, more in depth. Um, understanding of the advent story i think and i think i think there's a lot of you know that's what that's what a lot of pastors do especially these these bigger churches that have bigger staffs adam hamilton for one you know all the books that adam hamilton prints those are sermon series yeah i mean they're fleshed out yeah they're just fleshed out and written into a, a study um format and and when you have the time and the people to do that then that that it's really effective it's and there's very a, effective and there's yeah. a reason why he's as influential as he is because that's he's he's leveraging all that work that he's already doing for sermons to to put in the hands of of people and i think that's wonderful so and he's able to do it he's a great example of somebody who's able to do it in an accessible way where people really feel like they're able to plug in with the biblical narrative yeah so that's yeah. that's a um there's a lot to be said for that right i mean you and i both know you know being a, a podcast about sermons and preaching there's a lot of stuff that 
winds up on the cutting room floor yes. when you're writing. I mean, that's oh, yeah. part of the reason why we even started behind the sermon is because there's so much stuff that you, you get into when you're reading and writing that you never really get to talk about in a right. 20 minute sermon. And so most of um, it ends up on the cutting room. Floor. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And like, we're the only ones who really get to see that. And so to have this outlet to say like, well, actually let's look a little deeper or look a little broader at some stuff. I think it'll really be helpful for people. So uh, I hope our people are excited about that and looking forward to it. I know that I am, and I can't wait to uh, to do it, not only myself, but with my family and, and with some of the other people that I know are going to partake in that. So, uh, Pastor Andrew, thank you so much. Patrick, thank you so much for being here. Uh, for everybody here at First Church, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to like, share, and comment on whatever social media platform that you enjoy. And for myself, Todd Lovell, we will catch you next time on Behind the Sermon.